American United Federal Credit Union can often help when others won't. They can often approve loans even if you've had trouble being approved in the past. Qualifying for membership is easy. Learn more at amucu.org. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Eli Regalado. Wants, loves, fears. Everyone is going to make a decision based on one of those three words. They either want something, they love something, or they fear something. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Eli, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh... Obviously, really impressed with uh, your speech at the crowdfunding event and uh, happy that you're willing to come on the show. Um, I think it's fun that you have done some things that uh, a lot of people wish they could do as far as getting attention for things that are awesome. Like I'm looking at this Kickstarter campaign, the Adams Express Toys. You you helped get them their $183,000, stuff like this. Um, Tell us, before we get into some of the exact stories of working with Steve Wozniak from Apple or you know, Hollywood film writers, Clint Eastwood's daughter, people like this. Um, tell us a little bit about your philosophy of, of why you approach things the way you do. Yeah. I mean, I had, well, it kind of starts with my background. So when I was a teenager, I got in a bunch of trouble, stole a bunch of high end sports cars and ended up going to prison for a few years. This is and- how we like to start all of our interviews. absolutely uh prison story sets the stage um yeah but you know when i got out i I remember my parole officer telling me and this is i mean keep in mind guys i mean i didn't come from a broken home you know i wasn't a a totally wretched child i was actually you know on the honor rolls a three-sport letterman had a few scholarship offers and then halfway through my senior year you know i saw my life planned out for me and i was gonna you know you know, inherit my dad's construction company and I was just going to become a general contractor, you know, building commercial buildings. And most people would, I think, would like that. They would like a secure future and, you know, a successful company and, you know, they, they wouldn't have to build from scratch. Uh, I hated it. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if it's just because my dad just, you know, bred in me to just do my own thing and be my own person. You know, every sport I did was always, you know, and it was a team sport, it was an individual. So it was running, right? Well, if you don't win the race, it's your fault. You know, if you don't win the wrestling match, it's your fault, right? And, you know, I wanted to, to do something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to build something that I built, not that was built for me and handed to me. So anyway, I dropped out, got in a bunch of trouble, stole some cars. And when I got out, I remember my parole officer saying, well, I'm going to get you a job on a road crew. And I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I'm going to get to travel. You know, I've been locked up for four years. Yeah, this sounds sweet, right? And I said, well, what does that, what does that look like? What does that entail? And she goes, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work. I'm like, okay, I'm a hard worker. And she goes, and it's a lot of sun. I'm like, yeah, cool sunshine. And she goes, and you know, you're, you're, it's, it's hot and sweaty because you're shoveling asphalt. And I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're not shoveling asphalt. And so I, uh, I, I made a decision right then and there that no matter what I did with my life, I was not going to shovel asphalt. And I made a decision that I wasn't going to be in the trades anymore. I was going to just, 
you know, do what I want to do, but I was going to use my head instead of my back. And so no matter how hard things got or how many, how much things scared me, when you're, when you've gone through something in your life where you lose everything you own a few times, um, I mean, there's really nothing that scares me anymore. I mean, I've, I've seen dudes just get laid out and killed in front of me and thrown off of tears. And I mean, just just crazy stuff. And so it's like, you know, the fact that, you know, if someone hangs up on the phone or says they don't work with me, I mean, that's just like, eh, you know, it just doesn't have that same type of emotional response that I think a lot of people get. You know, um, there's this great book, uh, Ryan Holiday, his book, uh, The Obstacle is the Way. Yeah. You know, I, I'd, I'd always heard what I thought was a stupid saying about when life gives you lemons, turn into lemonade. And I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So, um, but then I started reading James Stockdale, Jim Stockdale, the, the U S fighter pilot that got shut down in Vietnam, who'd studied a lot of stoicism beforehand. And yeah. I, I really maybe started glimpsing a little different look at like how Epictetus and these guys viewed things. And then holiday in his book, I feel like I finally figured out what that saying means about, you know, how Gandhi, you know, he used his weakness as the weapon against the British when he got the rest of the world to condemn Britain for being aggressors against his people and get the rest of the world to do his work for him since they were not militarily strong enough to go after the Brits, you know? Right. And um, as tough as a scenario like that is, you know, that thick skin obviously has been an advantage for you in maybe taking things in stride that, that the rest of us might get uh, overly emotional about, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think everything works out for the good and everything happens for a reason. And, you know, it's, it's never, you know, in the time frame that I would like, and, you know, that's my job as an entrepreneur is to kind of speed that time frame up as much as I can. <laughs> But I mean, there's just been continuous examples throughout my life where, you know, I thought something was just really, really bad and it turned out to be really, really good um, as a result. So, I mean, I had a, a business partner, you know, take off with a lot of money from me, you know, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And it just it put me in a bad position with some clients and I had to basically just work for free for several months to pull my uh, pull myself above water. But I, uh, I landed a huge contract, one of the biggest I've ever, uh, one of the biggest deals I've ever closed in my life for this big, big, big monster resort. And all of it was because no matter what happened, the client saw that everything had blown up on my side and I was still able to kind of go in there and just shovel my way out, even though he knew I was doing it for free and, you know, at this point, <laughs> uh, working for free. So, you know, character is forged on the anvil of trials, as Abraham Lincoln said, and I will vouch for that. Yeah, that's a great saying. We should make a T-shirt of that. Yeah. Um, well, listen. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your campaign you've got going right now. Generosity plat- generosity.com, the Indiegogo platform. Um, tell us about this. Uh, tell us about this thing with the Dalai Lama and all these folks, Jack Canfield from the Chicken Soup books, and that. Yeah, you bet. So it's a film project called Rise Up. It's a feature-length documentary. Um, so in the movie, we have the Dalai Lama, Tony Robbins, Blake Mikoski from Tom's Shoes, uh, John Mackey. He's the CEO of Whole Foods. Um, Marie Forleo, she's kind of like a, a thought leader, you know, um, really plays in the women's entrepreneurship space and whatnot. And what the film is about is it's really about finding your unique voice and being uniquely you. And by doing that and finding that, not only can you create a living, but you can create uh, a movement that everyone else can get behind. And if you think about Gandhi, right, let's talk, you brought that example up, right? You know, if you kind of want to gone in there, you know, sticks and stones and those little meager resources trying to go after the Brits, he would have been clobbered and he would have gone down in history as maybe somebody you remembered, but probably not, right? But he used his own individual strengths um, that were perceived as weaknesses and he used it to bring down an entire empire and got his way. Um, let me give you another example. Um, Zoom and Domania, he was a um, Stanford physician and, you know, his, his parents were immigrants from India and, you know, the, the theory and the, and the thought process of my dad's generation is, you know, you bust your ass, you work 90 hours a week, you save money, you, you buy a house, you raise a family, you, you buy some stuff, you know, and then you give your kids something, a life better than you, and then you die, right? Well, <laughs> I, 
I, I just had a big problem with that ever since I was a kid. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it just, I didn't, you know, I think that's maybe a way. I don't think it's necessarily the only way. And I, I, I knew that there was a better way. And when I got hooked up with these, this film project and these, these guys out of Boulder, you know, they were talking about this, this Zubin guy and, and how he was a Stanford physician. He looked in the mirror one day and he's, you know, 40 years old and, and he didn't know who the hell he was. And he's like, why am I doing this? And this, this system, the medical system is so messed up and I'm not doing anything. I'm just a cog in a wheel. I'm not making any contribution. Right. And some of you listening, maybe having that, uh, you know, that same, that same talk with yourself, maybe you're an entrepreneur and you're kind of just surviving or you're just doing stuff to make money, but you're not really making a difference. Or maybe what you're doing is what you don't really want to be doing, but you're too scared to do what you want to do. Right. Well, anyway, what he liked to do is he liked to do rap parody videos. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Hold on. Is this – this isn't the guy from Epic Rap Battles, is it? Uh, I don't know Epic Rap Battles, but he's okay. a bald guy. He's a bald guy, um, you know, Indian descent. Um, but he's he's on YouTube, uh, ZDog MD. And so anyway, he just basically starts doing these rap parody videos, kind of like – think of like Weird Al with a medical slant. And I mean he just would just start going viral on YouTube and Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos.com reached out and said, Hey, you know, you're crazy, man. I love that. He goes, do this. I'm building a startup city in Vegas. Quit your job, come out here, open a clinic. I'll give you some funding and you know, help, help you along the way. And rather than sitting there and talking about the problems, why don't you actually do something? And he did. And he had the courage to do that. But what happened was, is, you know, if he would have stuck with the same thing and, and try to make change in the way that's always happened, you know, lobbying or whatever else, I mean, no one really would have noticed, right? But what he did is he took his own unique voice and his own unique skill set. He started seeing these rap parody videos. It was authentic. And because it was so authentic, people shared it. It was unexpected. And it created a movement. That movement created an opportunity. And that opportunity created another movement that to this day is still going. So this movie... This film is all about people who have done that exact same thing with their own resources in their own way. Okay, so um, pretty pretty impressed. You know, a lot of people are excited when crowdfunding campaigns get into the thousands. I mean, we we did we were trying to raise thirty thousand dollars at the end of last year to help pay for an undercover rescue mission in South America, and we were like over the moon to get thirty thousand. You guys have got over three hundred thousand so far, so you're like on a whole nother level. Um, what do you what do you credit that to of being able to do much larger campaigns like this? Yeah, so none of this is rocket science. It really just boils down to a few things. Uh, one is having a message that's unique and authentic. Uh, number two is building the community of people before you go live. So if you if you go live and just with a campaign and you know like a thirty thousand dollar raise, if you have a decent network um, and it's a notable cause, you know you could probably do it. No problem, right? Um, when you start getting six figures or more, you really need to plan these things like a launch. And the, the best way, having done dozens of these things and raised, I mean, I've personally raised over a million. You know, my team um, and, and freelancers that I work with on projects, you know, raised several million. But when it comes to when it comes to a campaign, it's just a matter of like a nightclub. So if you think of like a nightclub, um, have you ever been like been to like any club openings in like in New York or LA or any like any big city? Eli, you think I am way cooler than I am. No, I've not been to anything like that. <laughs> All right. Well, here's what happens. So here's this new hot club, you know, and these, these clubs and these nightclubs, they have a really short shelf life, right? So what happens is you got to make all your money in a very, very short period of time and you rebrand it and you call it something else and you do it all over again, right? Well, when a club opens, they hire a promoter and the promoter's job is to basically bring in influential and pretty people to this club so that on opening night, this thing looks legit. It looks like it's somewhere I want to come and has that stigma of like, wow, this place is happening. Because if you're, let's just say you're, you know, a group of single gals and you walk in, you walk by the door of this club and you see one guy sitting at the end kind of looking sketchy, drinking some whiskey, you know, you're going to turn your heel and walk right back out. And, you know, if you're some single guys and you're out and you're looking for some action and you're going to, you know, going to have some fun and talk to some pretty girls and you walk in the club and you see, you know, no one, you're going to spin on your heel and walk right back out. So it's the same thing with these crowdfunding campaigns. So you build that community, you get that community excited about what it is you're doing. You reach out to the media ahead of time, you reach out to that community, and then you drive all that traffic and all that momentum to the page at the same day, at the same time, at the same place. And what that does is it creates a ripple effect because you have initial big surge of traffic, 
But then what that does is it keeps rippling out because they need their friends to tell their friends and their friends to tell their friends. But when that cold traffic starts coming to your page and starts looking to see what's going on, rather than seeing you know, 10, 20, 30 bucks, 10,000 bucks, when they start seeing several hundred thousand dollars, they say, okay, this is something that I want to be a part of and I want to be associated with. So, so how long did you guys, uh, how long was your prep? Before you guys, yeah. before Rise Up launched, yeah. So this one was definitely uh, a lot longer than any of us anticipated, just because it was really hard wrangling this many influencers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, whole, the whole movie is just all a, a players, right? But this one was uh, a year, a little less than a year. Typically, it's anywhere between two to three months. Sure. Um, well, let's talk. You know, it seems like um, when people talk about getting influencers or doing work with influencers. Um, you hear things a lot of, you know, think win-win and these people are people too. You've really got you really to worry about what they want. But we often don't get enough details on how it actually worked and, and you know, the luck involved sometimes in making these things happen. Um, I'd love to go down the list and just talk about some of the fun people you've been able to do stuff with. Um, let's, sure. let's start right at the top. Steve Wozniak. I mean, such a famous guy co-founding Apple with Steve Jobs. Um, why don't you tell us uh, what... What you what you guys worked on together and how the party got started? Yeah, you bet. So I was consulting for this business magazine that goes out to the Fortune 500 uh, CEOs, everyone in the House and Senate, every governor, every mayor, and every dean of every business school in North America. And they this this big issue that they wanted to come out with was kind of like almost like the movie that uh, you just mentioned. It was going to be all A player influencers and it was called smart ideas changing the world or big ideas, smart people, big ideas changing the world. That's what it was called. And we needed an A plus influencer to basically be in the cover. And so I was sitting there uh, in an editorial meeting and then we're like, you know, what are those things that really, really, really changed the world. And I mean, even right now we're on Skype, right? But it's, it's the PC and it's giving people the ability to, to connect and providing it's, you know, it's a tool um, that paved the way for just everything else after it. And so he said, okay, cool. You know, let's just try to get Steve Wozniak. Right. And so anytime I approach an influencer, I always look at three words. And uh, the first is wants. Second one is loves. Third one is fears. Okay, and people when people say win win, oh, you know, make it win win, and didn't. I mean, what the hell does that really mean, right? <laughs> and so, uh, these three words. This is how you make it a win win: wants, loves, fears. Everyone is going to make a decision based on one of those three words. They either want something, they love something, or they fear something. Should I cheat on my wife? I don't know. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to pay alimony for the next fifty years, right? Um, you know, I really want a new car cause this one's a piece of crap, right? Um, I love my kids and I'll do anything for them, right? Or, you know, I love my company and I'm going to do anything for my employees, right? So everyone's going to make a decision based on one of those three words. And what you need to do in your job, um, if you guys want to work with influencers to do is figure out which one of those three you're going to lead with. And sometimes you can find two out of those three, and sometimes you can hit a home run and find three out of three. You know, that, you know, him or hers want something, they love something, they fear something, and you can lead with all three of those. But let me tell you on uh, the case with Steve. So how did I meet Steve? So I, I found Steve on Facebook, and in order to get to Steve, a lot of these guys um, – the more influential they are, it's going to be harder to find their profile on Facebook. So what I started doing is I started connecting with people with great influence that had great networks. And I started thinking about that and working backwards. And I said, okay, who does every A-lister know? And I started thinking, I'm like, okay, celebrities, yeah, it's kind of hard to find too. And I'm like, oh, editors of major news publications. And keep in mind, at this, at this time, I'm consulting for this you know, uh, private business magazine. So I said, okay. I started reaching out to these editors and I just said, hey, I'm a fan. Blah, blah blah you know I'm consulting for this magazine da, da, da. I was like you know it's not a competitor you know we don't sell it we just basically give it away it's a different model I was like but you know I just really love your work and love to connect with you right and like I think it was like you know it was pretty high I think it was like 70 or 80 percent of the people that I reached out to you know accepted my friend request well then what I started doing is I started going through their friends right and seeing who they knew and I started at, did the same speech. Hey, really like what you're doing. Thanks for your contribution to humanity, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to ask for anything from you. Just wanted to say, you know, you're awesome and connect with you on Facebook, right? And then you get 70 to 80% of those people start connecting. What I noticed was as soon as I started getting five to 10 mutual friends and started sending out requests, 
I mean, I was accepted almost 100% of the time. And if you think about that, so let's just say that you're Bill Gates. Okay, Jess? And I send you a friend I like, request. I like this analogy. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, let's say you're Bill Gates and I send you a friend request. And our mutual friends are Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, you know, the founder of the New York – or editor of the New York Times, Barack Obama, and, you know, some other people. Just all eight influencers, okay? Those are our mutual friends. The chances of you not accepting my friend request are slim to none because you're like, okay, well, you know, he's friends with all these guys. He must be legit. Maybe, maybe not, right? But the whole point of the matter is that social proof and that social layer of proof is there. And unless you get that social layer of proof, it's very, 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 very difficult to get in the door with these guys. And I mean, Hollywood's a tight circle. You know, the business A influencers are in a tight circle. But once you get in, it's very easy to move, uh, you know, in a lateral fashion. Is this making sense so far? Totally. Okay. So, so how, how long did that process work? Or, like, how long did it take to start? Like you, you know, the request, the hearing back, like, are we talking weeks? Are we talking days? What, how long is this? Uh, like, like maybe a week. Okay. Um, and then, okay. So then I, I'm like, okay, cool. Ready to go after Waz now. Right. And so with Waz, I started just researching, you know, Steve Wozniak wants and on Google, Steve Wozniak loves Steve Wozniak's fears. Right. And I found out that Steve Wozniak loves kids and he loves teaching um, computers to kids and he actually used to teach computers to kids um, in California but he just kind of did on the sly it wasn't publicized right so it was really cool and I found that he was also a founder of this um, science museum in California and I reached out to him and I said hey you know good to meet you this is why I'm reaching out to you this is the magazine blah 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 you know, we would like for you to be on the cover, da 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 da. And I was like, you know, and you know, if you're willing, you know, I have a thousand dollar check that I'd love to give to this museum who's in the middle of a donation drive, you know, for the kids. And so he he took the interview and he took the request, and you know, he paid a this museum a thousand bucks who was in the middle of a donor drive for, to support the kids, and you know, everyone was happy and he was happy, and it was just a great, great, great experience. It's just funny because for if you'd paid him the thousand bucks, he never would have done it for a thousand. You know, if it was just the thousand bucks, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, hey, Bill Gates, I'll give you a hundred bucks. It's like, oh, cool. You know, uh, it's going to cost more to reply to this email than it's worth. <laughs> so, right. So when you're at that level, guys, I mean, money isn't. You know, people. You know, I saw. I had gotten this argument one time with this one guy, and he goes, "You know, money isn't everything." And I'm like, "Well, you're the only millionaire in the room, so that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me." <laughs> But, uh, you know, the older I got, you know, and the more successful I got, you know, it really isn't, right? And, and, you know, people think it's a primary driver. And at that level, it's not. I mean, it's usually about, okay, I want to see things happen and I want experiences and I want to be involved in things that money can't buy. So how long – so let's say we take a week or maybe a few more days, whatever – to have gotten enough friend requests that you feel like when you reach out to Steve, he's going to see we've got this many in common, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then how, how long was the research? Is this a day? Is this a week? How, how long did you research? Yeah, it's a good day. Okay. You know, yeah, so I'm not going to sit there and do the whole paralysis by analysis. Today. I'm going to sit there and you know just spend a day kind of finding out you know, if, if, who, who we want you know, and then kind of work backwards from there. Okay, who does he know and respect, right? Start making friends with those outer peripheral people. Right. And then start working inward. And, you know, once I get, you know, five or 10 mutual friends and I'll go to that person, I'll say, Hey, boom, you know, here's what we're doing. Here's what we want you to be involved, et cetera. And when you work through your social networks like that, what's cool about it is, you know, very, very rarely do people, you know, check to say, you know, Hey, do you know this Eli guy? Um, and some people do it with LinkedIn. I hate LinkedIn because I, everyone always asks me like, Oh, Hey, can you make an introduction to this person? I'm like, I don't know that person. I just said yes, because I just saw, you know, you know, he sent me a LinkedIn request. You know, I just say yes to everybody. <laughs> um, I will say that I am I am much more of a LinkedIn guy and have recently become more of a convert to Facebook. Uh, it seems like people are. It's just a little more personable. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, in LinkedIn, you know what what what's interesting and with these influencers too, guys. You know, I mean, I've worked with, you know, eight presidents from Central and South American screenwriters and actresses and fashion models and editors and, you know, tech moguls. All of them are just people. I mean, there's nothing secret, you know, about what they're doing. They they just found a way to, you know, take whatever it is they had and package it in a way that the world loves and is willing to pay for. So, 
the reason I like Facebook is it really gives you an inside view on who these people are as people. That's a good point. Um, so you reach out to Steve. How long was the turnaround? When he said yes? Yeah. I mean, right then there. I mean, literally. So, I mean, I sent it, you know, and I get a response within, I don't know, 20 minutes. And we're, and is that where your role at the organization stopped or do, were you actually out there for the photo shoot and stuff like that? Yeah, I went out for the photo shoot and whatnot. What's interesting is so when I was out there, I needed a, so this is in Sunnyvale, California and I needed a room. And so I was like, you know, I didn't want to do it in a hotel room because it's kind of like, ugh, you know, um, that's, you know, hotel rooms are kind of like the, the LinkedIn of the, the hospitality industry, <laughs> As, you know, an Airbnb is more the Facebook, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, but Airbnb was around back then. But anyway, um, so I, I reached out to my buddy Larry Roberts. Um, you've heard of the internet, right? <laughs> uh, no, tell me about it. So it's this weird thing. I mean, I don't think it's going to go very far, but uh, I think it's kind of a fad. But you know, you connect people online. It's, it's weird. But yeah, so Larry is uh, was the chief scientist on the ARPANET project, which later became the internet. And so he was one of my buddies. Uh, is one of my buddies. And I called him up and I said, "Hey, Larry, can I use uh, can I use your conference room um, for a photo shoot? I'm coming to town, you know, like a week or two. And he's just like, "Well, we're kind of booked." Oh, man. Okay. And he could tell it's kind of you know, upset. And he's like, why? Well, what's up? And I was like, well, I just got to do this photo shoot. He's like, well, who's this photo shoot with? And I was like, Steve Wozniak. And he's like, Steve Wozniak from Apple? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, we'll move the meeting. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> so it was interesting. So we get there and, you know, I have the inventor of the internet and I have one of the four inventors of the internet and I have, you know, co-founder of Apple and they're just talking and they had never met. And, you know, I mean, He's taking Steve around and, you know, I'm introducing him to all his buddies at the office. And it just was like a way, way cool experience um, that, you know, I was able to see and be a part of. That's right. Okay. So Larry, you know, Larry Inventor, next one's on my list. Tell us about, you know, I'm guessing that you didn't meet them in high school. Uh, no, they're a lot older. So they were probably <laughs> way cooler than that. <laughs> so wh- where did that connection come from? Yeah. Um, okay. So let's start with Larry. So I, uh, I started and I'm not, I'll give you a little nickel tour on this, but I used to set appointments for, um, this technology company. Uh, it's basically, it's called a VAR value added reseller for big, big, big tech systems. So like if you're like ball aerospace, you know, that you'd be in my target market. And my job was to set level, uh, C level appointments for our outside sales team. And keep in mind, this is, I mean, I got in, I took this tech job, no experience, no degree, two felonies. And I just said, listen, I'll start at the bottom, beg the CEO for a job. And he's like, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour to set appointments. And I'm like, I'll take it, but I want a hundred dollars per appointment. And he goes, fine. He goes, but, uh, you need to set five C-level appointments a month. And when it was all said and done, I was consistently setting 40 plus. And how I did it is I started a nonprofit because I kept, I kept getting tired of people hanging up on me and I was just like, gosh, you know, this sucks. No one wants to, Hey, you know, would you like to have us come in and talk to you about your technology deans? Nope. No, I would not click. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is, you know, I can't do this long term. So I said, okay, what, and I literally Googled and I said, you know, what problems do CIOs have? CIO is a chief information officer. And I found out that there's this big pipeline gap, which is, you know, what's being taught in schools isn't applicable to, you know, real world experience. And so I said, okay, what if we started pairing up CIOs with these kids so they could actually start getting an idea of what to expect when they get out of school and start prepping for it now? We can involve the schools and get it at that, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. And I asked my aunt, how long is it to start a nonprofit? She's like, oh, it's like nine months. You need to board all this money. I'm like, oh, God, I don't have any of that. <laughs> I'm going to be fired before then. Uh, so I, I Googled how to start a nonprofit fast, and I found out I could do what's called a fiscal sponsorship, where I basically operate under someone else's nonprofit status. And then the deal with fiscal sponsors is usually just to pay them like 10% of all proceeds that are raised, and you have to operate within their guidelines, yada, yada. Well, I wasn't raising any money. I was really just using this as a quote-unquote Legit front, if that makes sense to, to yeah, an, ex- an excuse to get introduced to people. Yep. So I set it up, had it all going, had a website up in a week, and then I started calling uh, these C level executives saying, "This is a, my name's Eric Lotto, I'm the executive director of Sigma IT. We mentor high school and college age youth pursuing MIS degrees. You know, I'd like to come and talk to you about you know working with some of our students. Hey, yeah, that sounds great. You know, come on in." 
Right. And then it was like, Hey, okay, cool. Let's take a tour of your data center. And then I'm sitting there just kind of like writing down everything they have in there. And then I'd say, Hey, you know, let's set up a meeting, you know, with one of our guys to kind of come in here. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Anytime Eli, you know, you know, we love what you're doing. Right. And so it was a totally different thing. Right. So again, wants, what do they want? They want. And sorry, just before we run off that. So how did that, you actually got the C-level people mentoring kids. That's what the connection was. Yeah. That's a riot. And yeah. where did you source? Where did you source the kids who are interested in that? Just reached out to the local colleges and reached out to the different, you know, technology professors and whatnot. And so they started just, you know, sending kids over who were interested in that. And they just kind of started coming. We'd set up meetings, you know, usually at location. Um, and then the CIO would talk to them and say, you know, here's what's re- here's what we really really want. Here's where, you know, in a couple of years we're we're really going to have a need and. And it really just kind of gave these kids like an insider view of what goes on. I mean, if you think about it, like most people I know that went to college, you know, they never even talked to an exec until, you know, they either were hired or either, or got to that executive level, right? And now, you know, they're hearing from dozens of them telling them the same thing of, you know, what they need and what's to be expected. And it really just gave them a broader overview <laughs> of, you know. So I, I love this story. I'm oh, well, People, you know, when they find out, Back when we were running our fund and people are always coming to us, you know, with their pitch, asking us for millions of dollars, right? Oh, yeah. um, on the side, I would have just friends or other people who were trying to do business stuff, just coming for advice, even if they weren't asking for money. And I was consistently telling people, like, find a cause that you can actually be passionate about. You can leapfrog so many of like the social, like, <laughs> we like to pretend we don't have a class system <laughs> in America, but we have the, you can't get into that party problem, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like there's been so many times that guys my dad's age or guys my grandpa's age who don't need anything from me have been willing to take meetings about child rescue. And and then there's all these other benefits once they're in your network. Right. And I I love that. Yours is like a little maybe a little more mercenary than (laughs) than I had thought. But effective is effective. And if you're legitimately adding the value, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. You know, and and so. Where Larry comes in is, you know, we're doing this and we start setting up these meetings for the CIOs, right? And then what was happening was rather than just doing onesie twosie, I was getting, you know, a hundred of them in a room at a time. And I started bringing in speakers. I'm like, wow, this is really cool, right? And so I said, well, you know, I need to get somebody in like an AAA player to come in here. So I reached out to Larry Roberts and I found him online. And I said, I found out that he had this company called Anagram that sold to the C-suite. And I said, hey, Larry. I've got a hundred plus C-level executives in Colorado that meet this type of profile who would love to hear how you started the internet and you can now tell them about Anagram, what you're doing now. Um, and you know, we'll pay for all of your expenses, you know, come out and talk to these guys. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And as soon as I got him, I mean, literally, and, and after was, I could literally, and I still can get almost without doubt, any tech influencer. And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, what are you, you're busier than the guy that started the internet and Apple. Come on. You know, <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay. I, I love, you know, on our, a lot of our episodes, we cover a lot more subjects, but I think we're just going to keep going with this one. Um, another one for me, you know, we, we talk about, um, our programs of, you know, we're doing the show first, but then we want to build kind of a, a con Academy for innovators, you know, a, like a lynda.com yeah. for entrepreneurs, but give it away for free. Right. So I, I love, guys like Jimmy Wales who, you know, you go after the Encarta, the Microsoft uh, dominant wiktionary out there (laughs) previous to there being one, right? This dictionary program that everybody knows you're not going to be able to replace. And the guy just manhandles that. Uh, Tell us about, tell us about uh, getting involved with the founder of Wikipedia. Yeah, Jimmy, I mean, it was, it was a process very, very similar to Steve. I was still consulting for the magazine. It was a new cover. Um, needed to get to him. He was in London at the time. So I found him online. I actually found his site, and then I got in touch with his um, admin. And then we ended up sending at the time uh, where he was going to be in New York City, and I wasn't living in Denver at the time. And I said, oh, hey. I was like, just set it up for New York City. I'll go ahead and I'll get permits pulled um, for Times Square to do an outdoor photo shoot. And I'm just saying all this. I have no freaking clue how hard any of this is going to be. <laughs> and uh, he's just like, okay, great. Yeah, that sounds cool. And I said, all right, great. So outdoor photo shoot, Times Square, cover the magazine. Here's who's been in it before. And I'm just dropping names, you know, Steve Wozniak and Dalai Lama and all these guys, right? And so he's like, sweet, 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 sweet. Okay, so fast forward like another three weeks and, you know, we meet Jimmy. 
hey, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. You know, I meet him at this ad agency that I was giving a pitch to, and we walk outside. I'm going to just hail a cab, right? It's New York, right? No one rents a car. It's pouring rain. And if you've ever tried to walk in the pouring rain in New York, it's miserable. And now I'm, I'm bringing the founder of Wikipedia, you know, through the rain. And I was like, just waiting there, waiting. We waited about 20 minutes trying to hail a cab. And finally, I was just like, he was like, well, hey, do you want to just walk? And I was like, well, it's like a mile, dude. And he's just like, yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> so we showed up um, and we're walking. Oh, yeah. And so check this out. So we're walking down there and you know, it's pouring rain. It's just, just, I'm just totally soaked, just drenched, you know, no umbrellas. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have anywhere to, to do this photo shoot now. It's raining. So I call our photographer and I'm like, all right, Hey, we need to find something. He's like, I don't know what to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, what's around there? And he's like, well, there's a Marriott. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, get the Marriott on the phone and three way me in as soon as you do it. So he gets him on the phone, blah, blah, blah. And I call him up and I, and, you know, talk to the manager and I'm like, Hey, I need a room, blah, 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 blah. I need it right now. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, we're kind of, da, 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 da. and I was like, okay, you ever heard of Wikipedia? And the guy's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you know who Jimmy Wells is? He's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, he's the guy that started Wikipedia. I'm walking with him right now. Here's what happened. I need a room to do this shoot, blah, blah, blah. I'll bring him by. I'll let him meet you. I'll sign some autographs, whatever you need. Oh no, absolutely. Come on in. We'd love to have him. <laughs> You know, and of course he went up there and was just like, Hey, if you're ever in New York again, we'd like to give you a free room, blah, 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 blah. And this is awesome. And so, you know, you basically, you know, turn lemons into lemonade, right? So <laughs> the shoot came off without a stitch. Jimmy got a little wet, but you know, everyone that was involved, it was a really cool, cool project. That sounds cool. I remember yeah. when we were talking at the event and you were saying like just how impressed you were with him as a person that he, you know, he wasn't acting like he was a big deal and he was fine walking a mile in the rain and like didn't act all put out about it. Yeah. I mean, he's just at the end of the day, you know, that's why I really love using Facebook as opposed to LinkedIn. LinkedIn's so stale. Right. And I mean, I still use it and I connect with people, but you know, when you get on a Facebook connection with people, think about this. When you when you have dinner with somebody, right, you, you really learn who that person is. When you see them at a conference and shake hands and you know, give them some business cards, you're just kind of just getting the surface. But when you actually, you know, break bread with people and really kind of see, you know, what they're about, who their families is, that's when you really start having meaningful, you know, connecting conversations, not before. Yeah. You know, we talk about it a bunch on the show, but like buying people lunch is absolutely my weapon of choice. Like there, there's, you know, when you book an appointment at somebody's office, there's just this expectation we're going to get down to business right away. But when you, when you buy them dinner, you buy them lunch, there's this expectation that we're going to have small talk until the meal comes out. And that's where the serendipity happens. That's where you find out that you're both into this interesting thing that you had no idea they, they would like, you know, and you make those other connections besides the obvious ones. So completely agree with you on the breaking break. Yeah, thing. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, tell us about this thing you did with eight different presidents, you know, former South American presidents. Yeah. So this was a different kind of project. Um, this is for the biennial of the Americas. So, uh, have you heard of that by the way? No, tell us about it. Okay. So, in every other year in Denver, um, all the different heads of state and CEOs of big companies and educators and thought leaders. So think of like a TED on crack. Um, it's it's a really really big deal, but it's all for the um, Americas, right? So from let's just say Canada all the way down south, and all the different you know people from the energy sector and the tech sector and the government sector, et cetera, et cetera, come and they do these big roundtable discussions, et cetera. So this is the inaugural year, and uh, we worked with a couple different um, ambassadors and through our, our connections, you know, with Peace Gym and whatnot, to find uh, some presidential voices down south uh, to come up and be a part of this. And so we ended up uh, getting, like, the uh, former president of Guatemala, uh, Peru, uh, I didn't get Argentina, but Dominican Republic, and you know, a handful more. And... What's cool about it is so Frontier Airlines seems to be based in Denver. We reached out and we said, hey, here's the deal, right? We have eight presidents from Central and South America coming as for the biennial. Uh, we have our mayor, our governor behind it. And what we want to do is we want to fly them up to Aspen uh, for the Aspen's uh, Aspen Ideas Fest. You know, prestigious thought leaders and innovators and whatnot go and – you know, Frontier's like, you know, well, what do you want us to do? And they said, and I said, well, you know, we want you to basically provide the crew and uh, provide the plane. Which <laughs> Frontier, they did. Frontier Airlines? Yeah. Uh-huh. Awesome. And Yeah. And so, you know, what, 
what that kind of triggered in my head was rather than, you know, at this point it was just very influence was very just one-to-one, right? Well, now it just kind of became, went from micro to macro. So now it was like, you know, multiple people working with organizations, you know, going, you know, logistics involved and everything else. And, you know, all this happened without paying any money. So, and, and, you know, we flew him up there. We did a huge photo shoot right in the tarmac, you know, uh, you know, um, so which, which president did you go for first? What was your, what was your order? How did you do that? Yes. Yeah, as, as the president of Peru, um, he was the kind of like the ringleader of all these other guys. And so get him, he says he's in. And then of course, everybody else is going to kind of follow his lead. Right. And it's the same, you know, Humans are very interesting, right? So certain people are influenced by other certain people, whether that's, you know, they're wise or, you know, people they know and respect in the business world or the government or whatever. And rather than always going directly for the throat of that one person, you know, you go for, you know, one of the people, if you want to try to reach multiple people and have them bring in their other um, constituents. So let me give you, let me give you another example. Maybe that's kind of like a little easier to kind of get your arms around. Um, so there's this uh, high heel shoe line. Um, it's, it's called Sephira, and I, the lady just renamed it. Let me see if I can find the name. Hold on. Okay, it's called Thesis Couture. Couture okay, and uh, the, the the lady is formerly from SpaceX, and she's basically got an engineer and an astronaut to work with her to reinvent the high heel. So they're just designed with this, you know, these smart materials where you can stand in them all day. And if you're a four-year-old woman, they're not going to kill your feet in a four chill, right? Sounds cool. And, you know, I have six sisters, so, you know, I can tell you firsthand that, you know, once you start getting out of your 20s, you know, wearing heels isn't as cool anymore. <laughs> it's not as cool on your body. Legs start to hurt, back starts to hurt. You start having, you know, issues that come about as a result. And so Dolly was like, well, hey, I want to launch this new line of shoes. Da, 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 da. You know, how are we going to do it? And I said, well, why don't we start by getting a bunch of influential women to really help you champion, you know, this line, right? And, and really say, you know, that they're, they're behind it and, you know, tell their friends about it. And these are the women that can afford it and are willing to tell, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. So I just reached out to a handful of the women that I knew that were in my network and I think there's, I think there's like four or five, I'm trying to think of the first four. Let me think about this real quick. So it was, okay, so here's who it was. So it was, it was Anna Catalano and Anna was, I think she was either VP of marketing or the CMO of marketing for British Petroleum. She's retired now, but um, it was her, it was Allison Eastwood, uh, Clint Eastwood's daughter. And then it was a couple of others. And I said, okay, hey, ladies, how would you like to have your name on, you know, one of the first line of women, or first group of women that reinvented high heels for women everywhere from this time forward? Oh, my gosh, we'd love it. What is it? When can we get them? When can we buy them? Well, hey, they're not out yet, blah, 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 blah. We're going to build this ambassador group out, and I want 50 women that meet your profile. What do you mean meet our profile? Shop where you shop. Okay, got it. So in order to be in the group, we got to refer five friends. Hmm. Okay, cool. So we literally hit our 50 within 48 hours. And then the women started fighting amongst each other and why certain ones should be in and certain ones should not because we're already oversubscribed. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we opened it up to 100 and it just went crazy. And, and I mean, that's how I met a, a lot of my other um, women influencers is through this uh, practice, right? So I took a, a practice for a client. I had these women do all the work, but I gave them something that they wanted to be a part of and they cared about it. I wasn't trying to sell them shoes. I was just saying, hey, you got to try them on. You got to be the baby touchers of these new shoes. And they basically brought in all their own friends for me. That's interesting. You know, it reminds me where where you started a thing right now. We're doing it child rescue where we uh, we had this really high end illustrator approach us and say he wanted to do something for the cause, and yeah. came up with the idea of like trying to find really hot um, up and coming bands. The like the bands that you're, like you're cool if you know about these guys already kind of bands. Right. And he is reaching out to them and having them be like art directors for other high end illustrators like himself who are going to do limited edition T-shirts for Child Rescue. And they're going to be like hand letter, you know, hand signed, numbered kind of things. And uh, it was interesting, like seeing this come together. The first band that we got to agree was like so excited to be a part of it, which is funny because they really don't have to do anything except I don't like that art. I do like that art. 
you know? Right, right. But they're totally willing to like make calls to other bands for us and stuff like this as because now it's like this club, it's like this exclusivity, this thing to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, what's cool about that is, you know, it's it's not money driven, right? And usually it's the things that money can't buy that are the most desirable. So if you tell somebody they can't do something, what do they want to do? They immediately want to do that. That's just human nature. Yeah, especially right? you. I'm just going to put that out there, I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I was the kid that, I mean, I literally did this. Like, you know, you know the cigarette lighters, the V7 cars? Okay. So I, Like you I push it in, it gets hot, you pull it out? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I think eight or nine and I pulled it out and I put my finger on it and it wasn't hot. Right. But I'm like, well, what happens when I push it in? I pushed it in. It was like glowing red hot. And I just shoved my thumb on it. And of course, I brought my damn thumb off. Right. <laughs> just screamed. And then like, I don't know, a year later, you know, the serrated edge in the back of aluminum foil, it says sharp, do not touch. Right. Well, I touched it. And it wasn't, I mean, it didn't cut me. And so I decided to slide my finger across it and about cut my finger off. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's when you tell someone they can't do something, you know, there's a lot of people, including myself, yeah, that I just, they really want to do it. I just can't imagine how you how you got into trouble in your later teenage years. I just, I'm not seeing it. I don't. You know, you know, there, there, it's, it's some rumors, but you know, I, I, I can tell you, it's, I wasn't always this sweet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So, uh, let's talk about, uh, Karen McCullough. You know, she wrote all these movies, 10 things I hate about you, legally blonde. My kids love Ella enchanted. She's the man house bunny, all these, all these movies. How, uh, how did that connection happen? Yeah. So let's see here. So Karen, I got pulled in through, um, it was one of the gals in the um, in the the high heel project who brought in, I think it was this gal Hillary Shepard, and Hillary was um, a Power Ranger. Remember the Power Ranger show? <laughs> sure. I think she was the Yellow Power Ranger. <laughs> definitely and, the best Power Ranger, as everyone knows. Absolutely, you know, kicking butt and taking names. So she was the. I think. I think I'm almost positive she was the Yellow Power Ranger, but don't quote me on that. So if it was the orange or the green, I don't know the colors, but she was one of them. And anyway, so Hillary Shepard, she came in and she was really interested in the project, and I believe it was her either boyfriend or fiance or, or uh, gentleman she was with. Um, was a podiatrist and, you know, he, you know, really liked what, uh, was going on. And so anyway, it was Hillary who brought in Karen and, you know, and Karen, um, she's just awesome. Right. And <laughs> she just, you know, she loved it. She started referring her friends. And what's interesting about this is when, you know, when, um, you ever been introduced to somebody and so that somebody says, Oh, you're going to love this person. They're just great. Well, we started seeing that happen here, right? So a couple of conversations with these with a group of ladies, you know, and then they just kind of started carrying the word, like, hey, you know, love working with Eli. He's a really good guy, da 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 right? And then what happened was this thing just started just gathering more and more and more and more steam and more and more and more and more it's influence. Like, it's like the Cool Kids Club. Yeah, it's like the Cool Kids Club, exactly. And you don't have to – more people that say that, hey, you know, I mean, think about this. The reason – a lot of these A-listers and these networks are so closed is when you're at that level of your career or life or however you want to put it, everyone wants to take a piece of it. Everyone. Yeah, they show up with their hand out about what can you do for me. Yeah, exactly. And I got a bunch of buddies that are professional athletes. And I mean, it's even, and a lot of times it's their own families and it's crazy. And so, you know, when you're not asking them for money and you're saying, here's what I'm doing and I'm doing something that's cool and I think you'd be, like to be a part of it to make a difference and, you know, we're not saving kids, but it's saving women's feet. And, you know, if you're a woman over the age of 30, that's a big deal. <laughs> and so she, she made the introduction for you. Yeah, made the introduction for us. Um, and we put her in the group. She was part of the group. She started bringing in some of her other influencers and it just if you if you're noticing a trend here, guys. I mean, we're not recreating the wheel every single time. So, yeah, I mean, so if you take anything away from this, um, it's this dramatically gets easier every time you do it because with all these projects, you know, I wasn't starting from scratch. I basically just started with where I, who I knew, the people that the people that I knew, and then I just asked for introductions and you know, um, or just leverage their social networks. And I think but, a key point to that, though, is that when you were asking for the introduction, people could have confidence that you were going to do more than just show up with your handout, right? Where 
you knew what Steve Wozniak cared about. You knew it like that when you're asking for the introduction, those people in between probably knew how you were going to show up, whether they were going to use their social credit on you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and you know, you're not just that they're spamming for relationships to, you know, get them to sell your little tiki umbrellas or something. Right. So it's like, you're very, you're very direct in what you're asking for. You're very direct in what you want them to do for you. Right. The, the, the best way to get hung up on is say, Hey, let's talk about things that we can do together. Well, I don't know what that means. I'm busy. Right. So unless you have a warm introduction or, you know, and this is cold, you know, it's just not going to happen. Right. But when you say, Hey, I'd like to specifically talk to you about, and this is what I think you can take away from it. This is what I want from it. Right. Then it kind of gets a little bit easier to start that relationship cold. Now, if this is a warm introduction, you don't necessarily have to be that transactional and that, you know, on top of it. But it always is good to kind of come in and prepared with, you know, knowing either what someone wants, loves, or fears. Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, let, let's cover one more crowdfunding thing before, before we ask kind of our standard questions. But um, shifting gears, I remember uh, I, I really didn't understand this until listening to you speak about the value of getting into the Indiegogo newsletter if someone's running a campaign. Yeah. Can I talk about that for a second? <laughs> Yeah, you bet. So Indiegogo newsletter is phenomenal. Um, I'll give you an example. So we just launched a campaign called ASAP Dash. It's a little, uh, um, you know, external battery pack for your cell phone. So your iPhone goes dead. You need to plug it in. You're not next to an outlet. You plug into one of these things. I'm sure you've seen them at gas stations and a million other places online, right? Sure. Okay, there's a million of them. And, uh, so we started, uh, crowdfunding this project and like the first week, you know, we, we got about 9,000 bucks in sales, you know, it was off to a slow start and it was pretty, pretty difficult to differentiate this product from others. And anyway, we got to the 30% mark of the goal, uh, reached out to our buddies over at Indiegogo, you know, requested to be in the newsletter. They looked to make sure we had at least a hundred backers, um, that we were at 30% of our goal and that it was a product that they, they thought would do well in the newsletter and, you know, they thought it would. So they put us in the newsletter. Uh, that first day, um, I think it was like $15,000 that came in as a direct result of that newsletter. And then they put us in two more times during the campaign. And the second time was almost 30,000. And the third time was about 25,000. So newsletter feature three times. So what we saw was, you know, like over like, $60,000 the benefit or whatever. Literally, literally. And so, you know, what, what I took away from that is, and that's why I love doing PR too, is because PR, newsletter blast, anything like that. The reason I love getting an organization or a movement or a product in those types of scenarios is they already have highly curated lists of buyers. So rather than you trying to run just ads and building it, you know, from a, you know, I spend $1 and hopefully I get, you know, from four to 10 back. You can spend no dollars and get 60000 back, and that's really what the Indiegogo newsletter said. So let's give people those metrics one more time. More than 100 backers. Yeah, more than 100 backers. Um, you know, get it all within you know, your first week or so. So right around your first week, 7 to 10 days. Um, and get thirty, at least 30% of your goal. Great. Well, um, shifting gears, we always like to ask people for any book recommendations that you think innovators or entrepreneurs should be reading. Are you much of a book guy? Any thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I'm an avid reader. So, you know, um, I don't read a whole lot of, you know, uh, tactic type books. I read mostly like blog posts for that as far as like, you know, click here, do this. It's going to make you do that type deal. Any, any blogs you, you go, you find yourself going back to time after time? Anybody like? You know, I, yeah. So I'm on the digital side of things. So anything like tactical, what I really, really like is Neil Patel. <laughs> sure. Um, so, and I've actually uh, interviewed Neil too. So, oh, and here's one, one little hack to get in front of like these, you know, influencers do the exact same thing you're doing with your podcast, you know, either become a contributor to a major blog, like addicted to success or entrepreneur magazine or Forbes or whatever, um, and ha get an audience and then tell them you want to interview them on whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of the times people say yes. So yeah, Neil Patel is uh, definitely one that I like. Digitalmarketer.com is another one that I like. Um, as far as books, there's one, I forget who wrote it. Ah, I got it on my bookshelf in the other house, but it's called, um, the rest of us. And the subtitle is the rise of the Eastern European Jews. 
Okay. And it seems kind of like a weird buck. And I mean, I, I got it because my, my wife's Jewish and her grandma died over there cleaning her house. And I just saw this and I was bored one day. So I started reading it. It's my favorite book of all time. And I've read literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. And you're in prison for four years. You know, you read a lot. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Once again, uh, those benefits of prison just keep coming back over and over. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But um, it's it's um, it's a book about how the Eastern European Jews are different than the Western Jews in the sense was and the, and the reason is you know the Western Jews are more educated they're more fluent and, and you know the uh, Eastern European Jews are kind of more or less you know, like the, the white trash if you will of you know the Jewish race and they're you know from Russia and these other places well they came over to America with nothing. And they thought their Eastern, you know, uh, European counterparts, you know, the Jewish counterparts would help them out and help them get established. And they wanted nothing to do with them, right? And so these guys, you know, went from literally one ghetto to another. And, you know, they started becoming very entrepreneurial, started hawking stuff on carts and whatnot. And then it basically goes into case studies about how these individual people, you know, literally within one generation went from the ghetto to Beverly Hills. So you were seeing Samuel Goldwyn pictures, you know, the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's in that book, and he you know created that whole film industry you know from scratch. Um, Seagram's Whiskey, uh, another example. Um, there's a handful of different fashion designers, and every single one of these people started with next to nothing and made something of themselves. Not because, and, and I, I you know I'm a firm believer that comfort is a killer. I mean, you can get a whole lot done when you have a gun to your head. And the reason I think we don't have more entrepreneurs, we don't have more people innovating, we don't have more people innovating at a faster pace, is because people get comfortable, you know? And I'm telling you what, there's nothing like the fear of being homeless or starving to actually get you to get up and get moving. <laughs> and everybody in this book had that same fear. And that's why we saw so much innovation happen within a very, very short period of time. Yeah. Huh. Sounds kind of awesome. I'm actually just adding it to my Kindle wish list here. So it's the rest of us rise rise of the Americans of uh, the Americas Eastern e- European Jews uh, Stephen Birmingham we'll we'll put it we'll put a link yep. to it on your page on Ideation Collective for anybody that book will change your life hundred percent you read it it'll change your life it okay. can um, so another thing we always like to ask people uh, what advice they would have for us for child rescue and and getting more people involved in combating child sex trafficking any thoughts on that yeah I think you're doing a, a big big chunk of it right um, I mean the let's see what would I do if this was my cause so like I'll give you an example we we've got filmers down in Cusco Peru right now with our drone and cameras getting some footage of we, we put a down payment on an aftercare orphanage but we want to expand it so we can get more of these survivors out of essentially kid jail and and so we're going to need to raise enough money to build a second building later on in the year yeah. Uh, how, would you, how would you prep for a campaign like that? So like, like raising, like a raising money campaign. Yeah. We'd probably need 30 grand to pay off the existing buildings and land and another hundred grand to build this building. That'll fit 80, 80 more, um, trafficking survivors. Yeah, all right. Let's pull it up. What's your, uh, what's your Facebook page? Uh, the child rescue one. I think it's just Facebook slash child rescue. Hold on. Child rescue network, child rescue association. Rescue Station in North America, Walnut, yep. California. Yep. Okay. Uh, so a big part of it is, you know, building up your Facebook presence. The uh, And what I would start doing is you guys are, have like a bunch of this footage, putting that footage in there. Okay. Um, because that's going to be something that's, you know, unique, unexpected, and, you know, it's going to get people's attention, right? Um, I would also think about, you know, you're creating a sizzle reel or a trailer or whatever um, and pushing it out as a, a video ad. Facebook is actively trying to crush YouTube as far as, you know, uh, video plays right now. So anytime that you upload video uh, to Facebook, always upload directly to Facebook. Don't ever use a YouTube um, link because they'll just block it or they won't give it as much traffic as it really should get. But if you just upload directly to Facebook and start promoting it, um, it's going to take off. Uh, you get, You can literally get you know, views for less than a cent. Um, and just kind of have, you know, I would maybe start with an awareness campaign, right? So here's what we're doing. Here's what we stand for like this. If you, if you stand for this too, right. And then, you know, people start liking that post and you're going to have, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20% of those people liking your page, um, have a like campaign that, you know, um, running in conjunction with this. And then I would put, let's see, do you have, you know, we have some interesting things also like 
um, you know, a couple of us have Pinterest accounts that are really big. Like one of the guys on our board, he's got three and a half million Pinterest followers and he's willing to do child rescue posts on there for us. One of our advisory board members. So we've got a couple other resources too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's really just a matter of, you know, getting that word out. Um, but you, it's best if you start educating the people on who it is, what it is that you're doing and you know why you're doing it. And I would, you know, it's kind of like someone like building a personal blog, right? You, yeah. You have like your, you know, here's what I, here's how to do Facebook ads. But a lot of that filler is here's what I'm doing today. And here's what it looks like an average day in my life. And, you know, here's so-and-so, here's a case study of, you know, Bob who, you know, lives up in Montana on a lake now because, you know, he knows how to do Facebook ads, right? So the same type of stuff, right, is, you know, wh- who, would it, wh- who are you? What are you doing? Continuously tell that story. Tell the story of the people that are uh, affected. You know, show video. Um, you know, get influencers to be a part of that and help you spread that message. Um, and then as once that community is big, then go to that community and ask them for money to, again, take part and take action and fund this next uh, layer of development. Because then it's a very natural progression to ask for the money because it's a need as opposed to a cold, you know, want. Makes sense. Get some good preparation going, huh? Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That's great. Um, I didn't know I didn't know about the blocking if you did the YouTube versus directly. Uh, you know, I didn't realize the Facebook favoritism there. So that's good to know. Yeah, it's not necessarily blocking. I'd call it more like favoritism, right? Because you'll still get views. You're just not going to get anywhere near what you would. And then the other, uh, the other piece, have you and every other influencer or people on the team use greeninbox.com. <laughs> I used them on the last one. It was crazy. Oh, nice. Perfect. Did, how'd that work out for you? Uh, probably like too successful. I ended up, I didn't realize it was going to go to everyone I've ever emailed ever. <laughs> so right. like, wow, I don't know if I meant to send it quite to all those people too, but <laughs> it was, it definitely did a, it performed as advertised. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the easiest things to do because I mean, your personal network is going to want to support you because you have the personal association, right? So, you know, what I would recommend doing is seeing if you can't get some of your influencers or ambassadors to do that too. Obviously, it's going to cost a little bit of money, but um, it's well worth it. Sure. Um, you know, I know we've only got a couple more minutes here, but we always like to ask people who they feel like maybe set a good example for them early in their career of how to treat others. Anybody Anybody come to mind for you early in life, early in your career? Yeah, I mean, my dad did. Um, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of business mentors um, when I was doing my thing. I really kind of just did it. And I looked online and kind of saw what other people were doing and kind of tried to emulate what I liked and change up what I didn't. But my dad, I remember when I was a kid, um, and I guess it's like, I think you're 65% more likely to become an entrepreneur if you're one of your parents are, right? And I remember when I was a kid, you know, he's a contractor and he always see me come into these meetings and I'd always just get so mad, you know, like, I don't want to be in this damn meeting. I want to be out in the field, you know, listening to tunes with the guys, you know what I mean? But... (laughs) He's like, you know, I can't teach you book smarts. He goes, but I can teach you how to work with people. And if you just listen and open your ears, he goes, you'll be able to do whatever you want in life. Uh, okay, your dad, whatever, you know, what do you know? But I've, I mean, I don't know how many times I've thanked him because what he taught me how to do is really learn and understand people and, and make it about people. And I remember this one time we were in a meeting and he was really working on this really, really, really big project. And I was trying to close this deal. And, uh, this guy goes, well, you know, you're, you're over budget or you're, you're out of our budget. And, you know, there's all these people that are you know, less expensive than you. And we haven't really used you before. And we've used these other guys. And he goes, you know, I understand that I'm the new kid on the block. He goes, let me tell you one thing. He goes, you'll never, ever hear me say, I don't know. The only thing you're going to hear out of my mouth is I'll take care of it. And this guy kind of looked at him and he's just like, I kind of like that. And he's like, yeah. He goes, most people that do do business with me do. And he got that huge contract. And then that huge contract was literally the, the gateway for these other massive contracts. And, you know, he goes, I could have told him that, you know, we had good people and good service and blah, 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 blah. He goes, but the, at the end of the day, he goes, people don't care. They're expecting you to have, you know, good service. Yeah, right? it doesn't differentiate you. You still blend in with good service. Exactly. No one's going to say I had terrible service. We're going to blow your building up. <laughs> You know, so because I just, you'll just never hear, I don't know. You just, all you can hear is I'll take care of it. And, and everything he does in his business is, is true to that. And he never, 
ever has a client that's just, that he says, I don't know, we'll, you know, we'll try to figure it out. Just, I'll take care of it. And then he, and he just, you know, busts his butt to find an answer and a solution. And he does. And so, you know, in my career, it was never, uh, I don't know how we're going to reach Steve Wozniak. I don't know how we're going to do this. It's just a matter of, I'll take care of it. And you just start looking and, you know, it's when you learn to work with people, you know, people like to work with people and they'll, they'll refer you. And that's just the easiest way to kind of get ahead in life is to have other people do it for you. That's right. Well, we really appreciate you being willing to share the specifics and, and hopefully uh, we can stay in touch and keep you in the collective here. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. And uh, any questions, always feel free to call or email. Great. And we'll put contact info for Eli on, on his page on Ideation Collective also. Thanks again, man. You bet. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.